the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. We're sitting here 12.51 a.m. here on the East Coast. Conference Championship Saturday is in the books, but Week 16 is not as Arizona State and Oregon State continue to close out uh, the Pac-12 schedule. Congrats again to the Pac-12 champion Oregon Ducks on Friday night. Lots to get to. We've got uh, Clemson being very impressive. We've got a, a 52-46, to 46, a preposterous, repulsive final score in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. Uh, Cincinnati against Tulsa was very interesting. I thought that Oklahoma-Iowa State was good in Ohio State and Northwestern. Barton, I almost want to throw it to you first because you said, I need this. You know, like like you owned Northwestern. I, I don't even think it was here on the Cover 3 podcast. It might have been on the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports HQ where you demanded a little bit of time. You know, you told everybody to stand down. It was an alpha HQ move to be like, yeah, I, I know we're supposed to only go 30 seconds here in the C block, but you guys need to hear what I've got to say here. And like, I loved it. Like I went into this game, you know, big noon Saturday, big 10 championship. Northwestern comes off. They're up seven to three. The defense is flying around. They're doing a great job. Like I, I didn't want to jinx any of it. And I didn't want to like sort of mess with the vibe of the general conversation in the group chat. But I, I want to know, were you proud of the effort that your Northwestern Wildcats had in, in the Indianapolis today? I was, I was. And I, um, I, I think I was more hopeful than expecting of that. Uh, and, and there they were, you know, with the, every opportunity to win that game in a very Northwestern way. Um, I think, I mean, this is that, 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 that did kind of validate their season in a way. And I know in a way you could argue it just sort of devalues, devalues Ohio state. But um, I think probably the bigger takeaway is most people came away from that being like, all right, wow. Okay. This Northwestern team is kind of pesky. Like they are actually pretty good. Um, I, (laughs) I, I only got one, um, uh, Twitter shout out for my money line uh, parlay this weekend. Uh, I guess I, was, well. I, I went a little too hard this weekend <laughs> to get multiples. 
Happy Championship Week. Apologies if this is too long from a random fan. First, thanks for the low-key shout-out. However, I'm a Barton a and fan, but you cannot fully endorse all your sprinkles this week. As a fellow Boilermaker, I don't mind betting Indy to cover, but I could not look myself in the mirror if I were to cheer them on to victory. That and desperation is a stinky cologne, my friend. I did back the NU and OSU play because that would be hilarious. I suspected hits and carries Barton a into the victory. Anyways, good luck and get ready. Get the champagne ready. End of message. Next message, a screenshot of... Northwestern, Notre Dame, Minnesota, Moneyline, $5 bet, paying out eighteen grand, And the message, eh, I'm a degenerate. F it. I punched <laughs> it in. I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> it's hits if I bet it. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, so, yeah, there was a believer out there. I think Northwest is pretty good. All right, uh, Tom, you live blogged that game. Are, are you cool starting here? I mean, you. I feel like you, you're deeply tied into it. And, you know, Ohio State winning the game makes me feel as though because we're gonna get in, we're gonna get into this tonight, and we're gonna be back with you on Sunday with that college football playoff rankings reaction, and we're gonna be talking about number four, right? And I don't think that Ohio State is part of that number four debate. I think they have cleared that. But in breaking down that game, you know, what'd you see from Ohio State? Because we don't have as many data points on the Buckeyes as we do on everybody else, and uh, and this was a good challenge. I'm going to start with Northwestern, actually, because... That's cool. Barton, you're very proud of your Northwestern Wildcats, and that's great. And I even tweeted after the game about how amazing Pat Fitzgerald is. And whoever the new AD is at Northwestern, the very first move they should make is to make sure that Pat Fitzgerald is there forever, because then your job becomes immensely easier, because you're never going to better get a better coach than you already have. But I'm not going to take the plucky underdog. Oh, man, they made it a close game. Good for them. No, Northwestern blew it. Northwestern had a chance to win the Big Ten today, and they blew it. And Ohio State kept giving them more chances, and Northwestern kept blowing them. So I think that we've reached a point with this program where it can't just be the plucky underdog anymore. Like, this should be the expectation to be playing in these games for them. And I think they're getting there. And if they want to really reach that mountaintop, I think we have to stop treating them like, the you know, the, oh, look, we're so proud of our little friend here. He's, he's just a little up and comer. No, they, they could have won the Big Ten today, and they blew it. And Ohio State didn't. Ohio State tried to blow it numerous times. They kept shooting themselves in the foot. I've written, I've, I've covered a lot of Ohio State games this year, and I've written in a lot of live blogs. And my takeaway is that Ryan Day is like a lot of offensive minds and play callers in that he really falls in love with passing the ball because it's good. Like passing the ball is how you win games for the most part, but when it's not there, he falls in love with passing the ball. And like early in the season, like we were talking about how Ohio state was having trouble establishing the run and getting its run game going. And it was because they weren't giving their run game a chance. But when you were watching this game today, the run game was working right from the jump. It was like you could every single time Ohio State got the ball, its first play would be a handoff to Trey Sermon, a zone, you know, an inside zone run. And he would pick up 10 yards like every single time. And then they'd start throwing. And Justin Fields, who was clearly at the end of the day, he's wearing like a wrap or a brace on his hand. He's got some sort of problem with his thumb. He's looked horrible all day. He had no accuracy. And they kept putting the ball in his hands and having him throw. And it kept nearly killing them. And then finally, they Ryan Day woke up and said, oh, maybe I'll just give it to my running back who's averaging 12 yards per carry constantly. And that's what they did. And that's when they won the game. But it's... It's strange to me because you mentioned we're, we're going to talk about the playoff talk and Ohio State's in. Yeah. Like, 
if if they were in at five and zero, oh, they're not going to be knocked out at six and zero oh after picking up another top fifteen win. And the people talking about this and pretending like there's a chance they're going to get knocked off, I don't know if they honestly believe it or if they're just doing it because they feel like it's their job to talk about it. They're bored. They're freaking it's, bored. That is what people people that are saying Ohio State doesn't belong in the playoff are just talking because they feel like they need to put words in their mouth. It is so dumb. And like I feel like it's the same story as with Indiana earlier this year. Ohio State picks up a close win against a, a highly rated team. People treat it like they lost. Ohio State picks up another win today, wins a conference title against the top 15 team, and people are talking about it like it lost. It's like, no, they didn't lose a single game. Like, I'm hearing people argue about how, well, Texas A&M, their loss to Alabama was a good loss. You know, Ohio State doesn't have the resume. Ohio State doesn't have a loss either. Like, how are you going to argue at 28 point? Anyway, I'm getting off topic. I don't think this Ohio State team is great. We've talked about it. I do think that this Ohio State team is one of the four best teams in the country, though. But as we've talked about time and time again, there's a huge gap between the number one team in the country and everybody else. And we'll get to it. I'm sure soon the Clemson team that played today, there's a huge gap between them and everybody else, but there's still a gap between them and Alabama as well. So yeah, Ohio state's going to be in. They're probably going to be the three seed. I honestly think they should be the four seed. Cause I do think there is merit to the argument about teams playing 11, 12 games while they only played six, but I think they will be at number three. So Clemson, Notre Dame part three. I, that, I think the committee is going to do everything it can to avoid it. But I think if they were actually ranking it based on it, I would, I would, my own rankings, they had us turn ours in tonight. Same. I would ha- yeah. I had Clemson at two and Notre Dame at three, just yeah. because again, 10 and one to me is still more impressive than six and zero oh, when that one is just a loss to number two. I agree with you. And I did the same and I was clarifying. I said, I, I don't think this will happen because there's no way they run it back in the semifinals, but uh, if you were asking me to rank them one through four, I'd keep Ohio State at number four and just swap uh, Clemson and Notre Dame. But because you mentioned it, in case you missed it, Trey Sermon ran through 331 freaking yards. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It was like a play-calling decision there for a little bit where – the run was where Joel Klatt was calling it out on the on the broadcast early, and in, and we were talking about it. Like running the ball was working, and that was something that uh, when I was throwing out the Ohio State Northwestern under and and discussing that on CBS Sports HQ, a lot of it was, you know, we haven't really seen Ohio State be able to get the run game going outside of Justin Fields. You know, whether it was the Michigan State game. Uh, I can't remember which other game before that. There were a couple of times where it kind of felt like the best run play for Ohio State was going to be Justin Fields either extending the play, taking off, or design run. And look, Justin Fields still does end up with uh, a big part of the run game here against Northwestern. He also ended up getting sacked a couple times. But Trey Sermon ran so hard. He ran like... I wanted him to get that last touchdown, not because it would be that sweet uh, double play of not only hitting the Ohio State live line, but also the 17-point line also, you know, because they could have won by 19 on that last drive when he was running it in, but because I thought he deserved a a three-touchdown with three bills on, on the line. But Ohio State running the ball well against Northwestern is a good sign. Justin Fields and the rest of the offense... Not working as well, not a great sign. Though, if we start to preview it with the idea that they're going to be facing Alabama, with everything we saw from Alabama and Florida, I think that that game becomes uh, 
a little bit more interesting. I don't think that Ohio State wins that game, but I don't think that Ohio State falls into that Oklahoma against LSU, into that uh, Washington against Alabama or Michigan State against Alabama path that we've seen from some of those four seeds in the past. Uh, And as much as y'all talk about Trey Sermon, I do think that Ohio State offensive line deserves a lot of that credit. Mm-hmm. Like that that was a it there was a lot of those runs where it just felt like I wasn't I wasn't like blown away by what I was seeing out of Trey Sermon. I was just blown away. I was just sort of impressed by what what was opening up in front of him. Um and by the way, that Northwestern secondary is kind of sick. Yeah, isn't it? That's good. That's a good group. Because that was the that was the one thing that stood out to me too. Because like you meant, I, I tweeted about it. I compared it to like, it looked like Ohio State's offensive line was shoveling snow, like just kind of shoving it out of the way, and then you'd see snow go flying. Because they were uh, they were blowing Northwestern off the ball when they ran, but it's when they would drop back to pass. Like Northwestern wasn't really getting a great pressure, but what they were doing was they were dropping guys in coverage and Ohio State's receivers were not getting separation for the most part. And Justin Fields is already somebody who's kind of prone to holding onto the ball too long as it is. And then he didn't really have a choice and he wasn't taking off to run. And they, they that secondary was just kind of, I mean, obviously not having Chris Olave had an impact because mm-hmm. he is a big play guy for them. He's a the guy that can find space in his own. He's very good at that. But Northwestern's, you know, their linebackers were doing a good job covering their their corners and their safeties did a fantastic job. There just wasn't room for Ohio State in the passing game today. So is that it? Feel good about Ohio State? I mean, I feel good that they're going to be in. I don't feel great about their chances. Did Jeremy Pruitt save his job against Texas A&M? Well, no. I mean, of course not. Did you did you did you think that like the twenty one point loss was a, a positive step? I thought that with it being a home game and with it being a top five team in town, it was a temperature check on whether the locker room had quit. I didn't see a lot of quit. I mean, Jared Garantano apparently has decided to uh, <laughs> quit and uh, go ahead and throw himself in the transfer portal. But hey, Harrison Bailey era has taken over. No judgment there. But yeah, but did you see the NCAA investigation, internal investigation news that popped? You think that's enough? I think that that's that was clearly leaked. There's a there is an currently an internal investigation related to potential impermissible benefits or recruiting violations, some, something to that effect. Awful convenient that that would yeah, be. Yeah, it's like, by. oh, like, I, some tells me, like, that's not the first time an SEC school has had an internal investigation about impermissible benefits or recruiting violations. And, oh, that got leaked, like, before the game this morning. That, that, that tells me that someone wants him out of there. Yeah, someone yeah. that, someone that, that knows that information want someone else talking about that information so that they can get him out of there. But why did yeah. it come from the radio host first? You know, like I mean, that guy's connected. Okay. He, he's yeah. not, yeah, that, that, that guy's legit in, in right. that market. I, I, yeah. I trust, I trust you, you know, on that one. And it's Trey like, Wallace, Trey Wallace is the, the guy that broke in. He's, he's, he's connected. And Wes Rucker tweeted about this too. Cause he said that, you know, he's like, he's like, even as a member of the media, he's like, it's just something toxic about that program right now. And that an internal investigation is being leaked. 
and there's really no reason for it to be leaked other than we'll, we'll, you know connect the dots they're they're trying to they're draping the crepe it well, feels like to me that it's 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 not heading in a positive direction for Jeremy Pruitt and maybe and maybe maybe Jeremy Pruitt is ready too. <laughs> like Knoxville has beaten a lot of men down and may, maybe Jeremy Pruitt is just the latest I survived I, I survived a night in Knoxville with uh, with Josh Dobbs and uh, a few other people prior to Alabama and Tennessee. Still made it to call time the next day. It's all good. How how funny would it be if like Tennessee uses that internal investigation as like you know cause to fire Jeremy Pruitt? Besides, obviously the record. And then turns around and hires you free. Well, that's I what know, I'm saying. Right. Because <laughs> oh, that's the that, that is the irony of it. Yeah, because the the investigation or is the, the hypocrisy of it right? is the with cause, right? Like you leak mm-hmm. the investigation so that you can have some violations, and then that's going to trip something, so you don't have to pay as much money in the buyout. And even if you don't prove it, like even if you don't even wait for the NCAA process to to play its course, which is going to take some time, you can at least have that as leverage for the settlement, right? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. How about AM today, though? Did they convince you? Okay. So um, I think I, I do believe. Did you watch Texas, a lot of this game? I watched some of it. Okay. Because I felt like that was the Sickos game. Like there were two very competitive conference championship games with real stakes. And I felt like a lot of people were like, oh, but let's watch Texas A&M Tennessee to see how bad this gets for Jeremy Pruitt or like whatever happens to Texas A&M. Like there was, there was a cultural divergence. There was a taste test going on right now because we haven't even mentioned Oklahoma's Big 12 championship win in a league that it just waxes every year or the fact that uh, this Iowa State team, again, just kind of like lured Oklahoma into that rock fight, especially in the second half. Uh, but again, we're, uh, tell me. Tell, tell me about Texas A&M and Tennessee. Well, unless, I mean, the game, I, whatever, the game doesn't really matter. Exactly. The, but but, but, but the, I'm, I'm talking about more big picture. Right. Like in the season, all right, the AM results are in. You know, the the Notre Dame results are in. And we'll talk about that game, obviously. But I do really truly think it's it is a it's fair to say that AM and Notre Dame are basically the same team. Like I really it be, because here's the the problem with it is Florida, Florida is the Florida is is sort of the the issue here. Florida is, is the, the variable that is, is giving us some problems because I, my eyes tell me, and tonight told me this, that Florida is one of the four best teams in the country. Like when, like Florida's offensively, whatever. I mean, that's the same, that, that basically is like that, like that's what football is, is who's the best offense. I think Florida is, is my, my, like Florida's best, version of itself is, is a top four team in the country. If everyone's playing their best, I think Florida is a top four team in the country. Now, I don't think they deserve to be in the playoffs because they got three losses and they didn't show up against LSU and they managed to lose to, to Texas A&M. But my point is, is that Texas A&M's win over Florida 
is is in, in, in many ways as impressive as Notre Dame's win over, over a depleted Clemson team. And, and so I do, I do think it's reasonable to look at those two teams and even the style they play, the way they win, Texas A&M doesn't blow people out. Notre Dame doesn't blow people out. I think that, they're, I think that they are very much a toss-up. I think they're a coin flick in terms of who is a better team. I think on a neutral site, that's a pick em. This I think. I think I agree. It's very fair to compare them. And they are very similar, both in the style of the play and the results. But I think that when it comes to comparing them to Notre Dame for a playoff bid, the one team Notre Dame lost to, it also beat. So its best win is also its best loss. Texas A&M played Alabama and got boat raced. And if you're going to use the argument against Notre Dame that, well, Clemson kicked its butt today, well, then you have to say Alabama kicked Texas A&M's butt. So why is one butt kicking better than the other? They were they both got their asses kicked by the elite teams in the country. But the other problem is that when you start going down the resume, Notre Dame has a win over North Carolina. What is Texas A&M's second best win? Because I think part of the problem with evaluating Texas A&M and Notre Dame right now is we just saw Notre Dame get killed by Clemson. But Texas A&M beat Tennessee. Before that, Texas A&M beat Auburn. And it was a good win, don't get me wrong, but it's not like Auburn is an elite team. Before that, what was their last? South Carolina. Well, what is so, it? What, what, like, like, cut the suspense. Like, what is their best win? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have their schedule in front of me. It's, what is, Auburn is their second best, or second best win behind Florida. That's it. Like a 31 to 20 win at over Auburn. It's either that LSU, Tennessee on the road, South Carolina on the road, Arkansas, Mississippi State, or Vanderbilt. Wow. So that's what I'm saying. It's like I th- we've talked about. It. I think Texas A&M is a very good team. And I think that if you put it on the same field as Notre Dame, it'd probably be close to a pick them on the spread. No more than three points either way. But I think that when you get to that kind of similarities, all right, well, now we have to look at the resume. Notre Dame has the better resume. And by the way, there's been the argument in the last few weeks about, well, you know, Ohio State, they've only played six games. Well, Notre Dame's played 12. A&M's played nine. So we can't punish Notre Dame for playing two more games. I said uh, on CBS Sports HQ, if you got – because y'all saw Jimbo Fisher was not doing any politicking until the post game, right? Like – you didn't really see him on the forefront of like, we need to be in. Cause I think like we've even talked about this here on the podcast. The best thing Texas A&M could do is just sit back and see what happens. Then you get that last win in and Jimbo Fisher's going hard, going hard. I mean, he's PowerPoint to the zoom meeting or something like yeah, just like <laughs> out of control. Kind of like, I believe in this. I believe you get Jimbo Fisher one-on-one, you get some truth serum in him. He would so much rather be in a New Year's Six game that he could win than to go get thumped by Alabama again. Well, that, I was thinking the same thing. So <clears throat> if you're Notre Dame, and let's assume that you let, let's assume that they would give Ohio State the three seed. Do you like? Do you want to go play that number four that four seed game? Yes, against Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Even after you just you just sort of took your lumps against Clemson. Yeah. Okay, well, how is that different than, than Texas A&M? Because Texas A&M already did it, and Texas A&M can sell. Uh, Texas A&M is like the selling of hope. 
I think is a little bit different. I, I feel like the salesman, you tell me, especially about- I don't agree with that. Okay. I, I get what you're saying. I don't agree with it though. Okay. I think the Texas A&M would, I think Jim, I mean, hell, I don't know what his contract says as far as bonuses, but I bet you there's one for making the playoff. So I bet you Jim Pope wouldn't mind getting that playoff first. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I just don't agree with it. I, I think Texas A&M would want to be in it for the same reason that Notre Dame wants to be in it because making the playoff, even if you get your ass kicked is still good for your program. Cause you could say we are a playoff team. Didn't help Michigan I, I State. Agree. I agree. I, I guess I, I think of it more from the fans' perspective. Like, do you really want to sit through your team getting beat by 25? You do? To Alabama rather than go to the New Year's Six and maybe win that Well, thing? Notre Dame's also fighting that uphill battle of it all of a sudden becoming a thing, right? I mean, even our own, like, company is, like, tweeting out the meme. What What is it? The little corgi that's buff and then the corgi that's tiny. It's like Notre Dame against everybody else. And it's like the buff Corgi and the Notre Dame against elite teams. <laughs> and it's the shrimpy Corgi. Like it, it's it funny. And there are results that kind of back this up. But uh, the problem I have with that though, like that, and I understand where it comes from because you know, in 2012, Alabama just dog walked them. But when they got to the playoff a couple of years ago, Clemson then went on and beat Alabama worse than it beat Notre Dame the week before. Oh, that's and the Brian Kelly talking point. And, but that's why I mean, I no one it's ever like, talks about it. No one talks about the recruiting gap. No one ever talks about that. Yeah, but of course, Alabama's won those games before, so nobody holds. You're allowed to lose one when you when you've won them. So I understand where it comes from. But it's just like people talk about like Clemson killing Notre Dame in that semifinal. It's like, yeah, they killed Alabama too. That team was awesome. The same reason we think Alabama is going to kill everybody who plays this year doesn't mean those teams suck or they're incapable of winning those games. It means they ran into the better team. They didn't kill top four team Florida. Listen, Florida is Florida might be 2013 Missouri. Good team. Good team. 2013 Missouri was 12 and 2. Like they were they were really really good. And they lost what was that 59 to 42 or something like that to Auburn in the 2013 BCS Championship game. Really good team. Good team. Not not a national championship contender though. I don't I mean I don't know if I agree with that. They, they, if, they if, like if Alabama, Florida, Alabama has been absolutely murdering people this year. And Florida need, and Alabama needed to like milk the clock to make sure they didn't have enough time left on it for Florida to get a game winning drive in. Like that, that's, that's not, that's not Missouri. They, Missouri they was good. Them. Don't they disrespect still, 2013 I, Missouri. I know, but I know, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I, I just think I, I, like, Chip's I'm, got two rules, Barton. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is don't disrespect 2013 Missouri. <laughs> they were a one loss team on conference championship Saturday. They showed up ready for the fight. They finished number five in the final polls. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe they're 2013 Missouri. I don't, my brain doesn't work well enough to remember the years, but I think that I, it's because I think, we threatened that scoring total that I went back on the 2013 sec championship game where I was like, okay, so what was that 2013 Missouri team? And I was like, Oh crap. They were really good. They had kind of a fluky loss to South Carolina away from being like really, really, really good. And because it was the BCS era, we didn't care about who was number three or number four. All we cared about was number one and number two. And Florida state was the most dominant team all year. And so Auburn got the number two spot. Oh man. 
back in the days of two. We need to get the, we need to get this get four, back. Four, four, we need to, no no no. We need to get no, this no, four deal up to eight. Get this four deal up to eight, and so not then we'll be talking about nine you know ten teams a year instead of cool. six teams a year. Can we listen? I need I need I need to make an agreement here if we're going to go to eight when we do. Can we have set guidelines for who qualifies? Can it not be a ranking? Can it just be conference champions? I'm with it. Conference champions. What five conference champions? One group of five, two at large. Mm-hmm. But see, that's the problem. Then the two at large has become rankings, and then we're sitting there arguing between seven. Well, that's and eight okay, seats. man. That's a little arguments. All right, a little arguments not going to hurt you. Keep you. So let's go. Keep go. Keep a, a roof over arguments. your head. Let's go. <laughs> keep keep this, that paycheck keep coming, brother. Hey, hey service <laughs> academy under cashed again today with army and air force, and yep. that's what builds the house. Mm-hmm. That Tom was this morning. <laughs> So you see this house I'm in? Service Academy Unders. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up on the other side, we dive a little bit deeper into Clemson, Alabama, and other takeaways from the non-conference championship games next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Uh, So, Clemson, looking really good. Like, really, really, really good. Almost uh, effortless and machine-like in the way it took care of business. Notre Dame was the better team for the first 10 minutes of that game, but three drives into scoring position yielded just three points, and that was it. And that was totally ball game from there on out. Like, what is the value of Trevor Lawrence in for DJ Uyunglele? Um, DJ Uyunglele threw for more yards against Notre Dame, but Travis Etienne ran for more yards against Notre Dame. And I think that's because of Trevor Lawrence. And I think that's because of Trevor Lawrence in, in the rushing attack. He makes everyone around him better. It is impressive. And uh, I'm curious to hear what y'all thought about it. I think we made two mistakes in our evaluation of this game going in based on what we saw in the first game. And I think you just hit one on the head. Is that Trevor Lawrence's presence kept Notre Dame from just saying, all right, well, we just got, we just got to strap ETN and let this kid beat us. And I mean, cause when we remember that first game, they dominated the line of scrimmage in that game because they were just swarming, stopping ETN and DJ Uyunglele, who had a great game, just wasn't able to do it on his own. 
Trevor Lawrence in there, you've got to respect the pass more. You've got to respect his ability to run. And that opens things up. That allows Travis Etienne to find the space that he did not find in the first game. But the second thing we neglected in our thought process for this game was that this was a rematch between Brent Venables and Tommy Reese. And Tommy <laughs> Reese has done a fantastic job calling plays for Notre Dame this year. He, he's got all the signs of a very good offensive coordinator. But in a rematch with Brent Venables, we should have been like, oh, God, no, Brent Venables is going to fix. Brent Venables will know everything that they did wrong, and he is going to fix everything they did wrong. And I don't know if Tommy Reese has that kind of experience and that knowledge yet to be able to counter. And that was what was evident to me, because it's like I'm watching that game and I'm watching what Notre Dame's trying to do on offense. And I'm thinking, man, everything that they were able to get in that first game, Brent Venables has taken away. And he didn't, and he took that, you know, every taking this way, taking this way, taking this way, taking this way, counter. And there was just nothing there. And then, of course, he had some guys back, and that allowed him to be a little bit more aggressive and bring a little more pressure than he probably did in that first game. And Ian Book was running for his life the entire game. It was so that's the, I think Trevor Lawrence's presence had a huge impact on the run game more than anything. And I just think that the chess match between Venables and a young, inexperienced offensive coordinator just turned this game into a complete, you know, domination from Clemson. Yeah, I think deep in my subconscious, I knew that Trevor Lawrence's return was going to have a bigger impact than I acknowledged publicly. But I feel very dumb for not letting my subconscious, like, 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 like filter through my thoughts a little more clearly because Trevor Lawrence was a huge, made, made like an incredible difference. And it, like, I, like about this, cause the storyline was, yeah, DJ, like 430 yards passing, but you're right, Tom, like the, like Trevor Lawrence, like, how do you stop Clemson right now? How do you stop him? He, and, and, and cause Trevor, we know what Trevor Lawrence can do throwing the ball. We know what Travis Etienne can do running the ball, but Trevor Lawrence was brutal as a runner tonight, like that was devastating. Um, so yeah, I agree with that. And also I, I did, I thought too, that like um, early in the game, even when, when they, when, when Notre Dame dr was driving down that second drive and settled for the, the, the field goal, the 24 yarder that was missed. Yeah. yeah. But even before they missed it, I was like, this is, so now you beat Clemson. Like, this is not a good thing here. You're going to go, like, you're going to have two good drives and, and you might get six points out of this thing. Or, or at that point, I was like, you are getting six points out of this thing. And then, I don't know. What to, and then, and then they missed it. And then I was like, this is really bad news. What's you don't win joke? game with field goals. Oh, you don't yeah. win games with field goals. You don't win games with field goals. Yeah, 51-yarder went in. Congratulations. But then the 24-yarder, no good. And the turnover on downs. And then it's a ball game. Yeah, the turnovers no. on downs was brutal, too, because that was, oh, that was there. Avery Davis had it. It was a little bit behind him. Uh, yeah, but I think that was on Avery Davis. Like he's sprinting to the sideline, like settle. I think I think uh, Ian Herb Book wanted him to, yeah. to. Oh, did he say that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So not nope. nothing insightful on me then. No, Notre that Dame is insightful. I'm, I'm, tell, I'm telling you that. I'm, I'm telling you that that you've got a cosine it was on that validated. analysis. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. I did. Okay, so I, now I'm just gonna sound like I stole it from Herb Street. I didn't even know he said that. Notre Dame had 120 yards in the first quarter, and then 143 yards the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, 
That's pretty good. Pretty good effort there by old Brent. Yeah, I mean, once Clemson got the signs, you know, they stole them all the rest of the game, <laughs> and they were good. <laughs> Best in the country at uh, stealing those signs. We all know it. Tommy Reese just wasn't ready for it. He didn't ha- didn't have that curveball. Okay. Again, I, I I will offer one opportunity. Oklahoma Iowa State. It was a good game. Anyone got any any strong feels? I, um, not really, except for it, it feels like Lincoln Riley has emerged as like this coach that doesn't have a killer instinct. Ooh. Elaborate. Yeah. I like that. I, just, um, I, I mean, did, did he used to put his foot on people's throats? Because it feels like it's been a long time since I've seen him put his foot on someone's throat. No, I mean, I think that the, I, I've never thought of this really but I, I, I think even going back to the Rose Bowl against Georgia, like they had the chance to put that game away and they kind of got a little conservative for their own good and Georgia came back and, you know, we, it was a great game. But I yeah, know that's, that's interesting. I think there might be something to that. Let's, let's, let's something to investigate. All you private eyes out there, let's do some digging. Starting with uh, Sergeant Investigator Amanda Guerra, who's probably listening to this and kicking <laughs> <laughs> right now at all of us uh, saying that Lincoln Riley doesn't have a killer instinct as he wins his fourth Big 12 title in four years as Oklahoma's head coach. He's too nice. Should have won him by more. That's right. <laughs> now, this was, I mean, this was kind of exactly what I thought the game was going to end up looking like it got there in a way that I wasn't really expecting because I I do think the the way Oklahoma started the game I was like oh god this is going to be a blowout city like they're going to crush them and then like you know they kind of just let their foot off the gas Iowa State did Iowa State stuff got back into the game and then it was really fun and interesting in the fourth quarter but I don't think Either of these two teams, like we were talking for a few weeks there about how Oklahoma was looking amazing, and they were. But the Oklahoma team that we saw last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was that they played their last game, and then today does not strike me as that same team that really had a spark to it, like when Ronnie Perkins had first come back and they finally really discovered Ramondre Stevenson. I felt like that team was getting dominant, and I still think that this is a really good Oklahoma team, but... It's kind of lost that edge a little bit. I think Iowa State's still a very good team. So I think overall, not the best year for anybody in the Big 12. I don't think that they there's much of a playoff case to be made for either of these teams. And I think that that doesn't mean that they can't be next year because, you know, Spencer Rattler could be another year in the offense next year. There's a lot of talent on that roster. Same thing with Iowa State. They're going to be another year older and have some, you know, experienced key players. Brock Purdy is going to be another year older and another year in that offense probably going to be improving. So I think that there's a very good chance going into 2021 that these are going to be the two te- the best teams in the Big 12 again. And I know Texas fans obviously hoping they could change that. So are Oklahoma State fans. But that's my biggest takeaway is neither of these teams are playoff ready. And I don't know if I'm going to be considering them playoff favorites going in next season but i do think that these two are the best teams in the big 12 next year again well that's sort of my takeaway is uh this was your chance big 12 like you missed you missed your shot this was the year oklahoma had suspensions and uh new quarterback starter and all these like this was the year like someone had to get like uh, 
next year, Oklahoma is going to be better than this year's Oklahoma, I think. And I think that I think the Big 12 missed their shot. Mm. Cincinnati, 27-24 winners against Tulsa. Did, did they validate all the outrage army? No, I think they let the outrage army down. Me too. They, they, didn't blow, <laughs> they didn't blow Tulsa out, but I think Tulsa is a good team, and they've probably been overlooked for the most part all season long when we talk about the good teams in the group of five because – now Tulsa finishes the season with two losses, and their first loss was a close loss to Oklahoma State to open the season, and their second loss was to a top-10 Cincinnati team. I think defensively this Tulsa team was great, and I think that they gave Cincinnati problems, and I think that we, got, we can't, can't overlook the weather for this game. I mean, it was in the upper 30s in a very hard, steady rain. Players were slipping on the turf. It was a sloppy, sloppy game, so you can't just pretend that didn't have an impact, but if you are a Cincinnati defender who is arguing that they should be in the playoff conversation, you needed a bigger performance than that. But all Cincinnati really needed was to win to make sure that they get to New Year's Six Bowl because that was the best they were ever going to get anyway. Yeah, true. Agree. Anything else from the weekend? I thought there was so like... um I didn't watch. Uh, I didn't watch any of the LSU Ole Miss game. Oh, I did. It was awesome. Sounded like it was just bonkers. Dumb as hell. Awesome, but awesome. <laughs> it reminded me of like if you're at like a, you know when you have like um kind of like a a, a fa- like a couple over for drinks or something or like a couple friends over with drinks and they have kids and like you just want to like you're okay like you you just want to enjoy adult conversation. And so you put the kids in like the playroom and, and you hear crashing and banging in there, but you don't use, you, you just leave them alone and say, you know what? We're just going to ignore it. We're going to have pleasant conversation. And then at the end of the night, we're going to open up the door and the playroom is just going to be like absolutely destroyed and like pictures broken and toys tossed everywhere. Like we're over here watching like the civilized games. And then like, meanwhile, on ESPNU or whatever it was, LSU and Ole Miss were just going like bat shit. Oh, bro, that was. Uh, Not allowed to say that. Sorry. That was that was the 4 p.m. SEC Network game. It was it was right there. Right. Oh yeah. So that but that was when those get but like it was when the Ohio State the game was going on. Yeah. And like, uh, uh, no, it was when uh, Notre Dame Clemson was going on. I guess. Yeah. Right. Without a doubt, it was it was not the um, it was the uh, like uh, was it the Natty Daddy. You know, Natural Light's got like a new like eight percent beer that they're trotting out right now. Oh, I guess I I, I suppose we're on we're Coors Light only here. We're a Coors Light podcast. We're a Coors Light podcast. <laughs> Matt, but, keep that out. <laughs> but it it was not the uh, it was not high quality at all. But it was endlessly entertaining. Yeah, it was. I mean, there was like the one play where Matt Carell I think killed a ref. That was funny. Matt Carell had four touchdowns and six turnovers. Was it six? I know it was quite a few. Yeah, I mean, because we had so <laughs> legit. That was a Matt Corral game for sure. It, uh, it was bananas. Like that's and that's the thing that I think I told y'all. I was like, you get these SEC West low stakes games. Okay, it was five interceptions and I think one lost fumble for Matt Corral. I mean, this is this is going to be a box score. Let's let's open this thing up. Okay, yeah. But, 
It's uh, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, five interceptions, one lost fumble, 158 rushing yards, and 251 passing yards. Like, Ole Miss had six turnovers. LSU turned it over once, and LSU won 53 to 48. Like, <laughs> like if you're LSU, this is like two weeks in a row where – you probably shouldn't have won, but you won. So at least you're ending the season on the high note. But yeah, also Keishon Boutte had 308 yards receiving and three touchdowns on 14 receptions. 14 catches, 308 yards and three touchdowns. That's, that's your freshman yeah. wide receiver. <laughs> this was just this was just a dumb game. I feel like Lance and or Lance Lane and Ed met at midfield before the game and said, "Hey, you know what?" Let's not tackle. Let's just let's just have fun out here today, buddy. And that's exactly what they went out there and did. Bo Pelini's living on borrowed time right now. You better you better go you better go to the old LSU equipment room and grab all the gear he can because you don't have much more many more days left. I don't think. All right, so we've got our uh, two things before we get out of here. Number one, Tom or Heisman ballots are due. On Monday, we cannot reveal our ballots, our ranking, or our order, but I do think this is a relevant question. There's only three spots on the ballot, and I'm not asking for yours, but instead your survey of how every, everyone else go vote might vote. And Barton, of course, uh, interested in your opinion here too. I think Najee Harris did enough with five touchdowns in the SEC championship game to be able to insert himself into a conversation along with his teammates, Mac Jones and Devonta Smith. Uh, yeah, I think that he's played his way onto more ballots. He might've already been on a few to begin with. True. But I think that, I mean, there's recency bias in the Heisman voting is just huge. Like it isn't anything in this sport. It's like the reason we're arguing that Texas A&M deserves it more than Notre Dame because Notre Dame lost to Clemson and Texas A&M beat Tennessee. Right. So, but her emails. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, uh, I think, I think Najee Harris definitely helped his case. I think Kyle Trask, even though he played well for the most part, his case is probably done because you combine that with last week. And I think that there is a very good chance. Like we're probably going to see two finalists from Alabama. That's what I would think at this point. At least. Yeah. Trask is Trask is out unless there was a bunch of early ballots. And, and I'm not saying he does, he, he should be out, but in a year like this, like you ain't winning the Heisman with three losses. And two in uh, a row to close the season. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, deserve it or not, Kyle Trask I think is out. So you know, did Trevor Lawrence do enough to get into the mix today? Just recency bias, best player in the country, future number one pick. Um, you know, they're they're, they're all cute stories, but Devontae Smith is is the best player in college football. I and, thought Justin Fields missed out on an opportunity today, and and look, well, he's he's done though. Sprain, yeah, sprain thumb. Been done, yeah, he's, but I mean, he's good. Like, he's awesome. Like, come on, but but he's got like, he's done so. The question I, is most outstanding player, and I was willing to leave that door open because he is outstanding. Justin Fields at his best. Put the team on my back, though. Justin Fields is awesome to watch. He was not that Justin Fields today. But he, hit, but that like he has not been that Justin Fields yeah, all year. 
previously this season also. I think, I mean, he's had, he's had a very inconsistent season. Like there are times within games where he looks like Justin Fields, but then there are times within those same games where he's just kind of disappearing. Off as soon as y'all got that pro scouting report on Justin Fields, about how he can't drive the ball, like the best players just, <laughs> Oh man. Like it's, it's it, like, he hasn't played that great this year. I mean, he did the first couple games, I guess. Right. No, he, that was when he had like six touchdowns and five interceptions or, so, or five he, incompletions. He carried the team against Michigan State. Again, we only have like five data points. So it's like, yeah, well, it's, he, he didn't play well against Indiana. You know, like he played well against Nebraska and Michigan State. And he was so-so against Penn State and Rutgers. And that's the whole body of work. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal to you guys my, my ballot. I just came up with it. I hope, it, I hope I'm not forgetting somebody. One is Devontae Smith. Okay. Two is Mac Jones. Three is Najee Harris. I don't hate it. I don't hate it either. See, that's the thing. Cause like I, I usually at this time, I have a very good idea of who I'm going to vote for. You know what I mean? It's like you, you kind of form the opinion and then it's like you go into every weekend, especially late in the season. It's like, all right, either convince me further or let me see if somebody else kind of emerges that, you know, like you're number two, you see if they can gain ground. But I really this year, because I think part of the problem is like you just you just put the shiny example. There are three players on the same team that are all very worthy of Heisman votes. So it's like now you're not just trying to handicap players from different teams and in different situations. You're trying to handicap players from the same offense. It's like, all right, well, which one of you three is the most important player on this offense when all three of you are clearly incredibly important to the offense because I don't know. It's it's a difficult situation this year. My, my guy's got a chance, though, now. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, like it was like like the reporter's are jumping on it, you know, like it's it's Devontae Smith for Heisman and Darren Ravel sucks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like those are like the two <laughs> things like you like you're supposed to believe now as a reporter. And and so I think I think the movement is caught and I think we got a shot at this thing. I mean even Ness said it like, oh that could have been the touchdown that clinches the Heisman for him and then he was like or one of his other teammates. <laughs> it's like yeah, I, I definitely think that he is the Twitterati flavor of the last couple of weeks for sure. But so you're, that you're, you're holding out because there's 927 Heisman votes and a lot of them yeah. aren't on Twitter. I think that not to get political, I think that if there's anything we've learned in the last five years, don't trust the polls. <laughs> it's that the people that you follow on Twitter aren't necessarily indicative of the rest of the voting electorate. You know what I mean? So I think that he's going to have a good shot, but I don't know. I think that, you know, quarterbacks are quarterbacks and everybody loves quarterbacks. So there's going to be a, there's going to be a recount after the, after the Heisman. Oh, it's going to, yes. we're going to have a lot of lawsuits. It's going to need the Supreme court to weigh in. It's, it's going to be a mess. <laughs> the good people at Deloitte, who are in charge of all the accounting of all the votes will not stand for any allegations of fraud with the vote counting. This isn't dominion voting machines here. All right, y'all. <laughs> like, hey, if, if I can, I, I, I'm, I'm curious, 
like what the going rate in Russia for like a bot farm is because <laughs> I'll, I'll dish out a little, little scratch for a bot farm to get the Devonta <laughs> Smith for Heisman hashtag going. <laughs> far does 500 bucks go in a Russian bot farm? <laughs> <laughs> When we that's start, what you gotta do that's politics now, man. That's what hey, you gotta do. When we start selling merch, we'll have a shadow item in our uh, in our shop that can just go to the pot farm for whatever campaign that we're trying to jump on. And right now, it is uh, Devonta Smith for Heisman. So we'll see. Uh, all right, we will be back with you on Sunday. Oh, uh, hold, on, hold on, before we go, shout out to San Jose State. This was up. Winning Mount West undefeated. Good for them. That was a great season for them. Oh, yeah. By the way, Coco just reminded us. Your boy. Oh, Brett Bielema. Brett Bielema. The new head man. The new face and voice and belly of Illinois football. We're back. We're back. I got to say, I, I thought, I think they missed an opportunity. I think Lance Leipold was going to be the right, the right fit there. But how you feeling, Tom? I'm good with it. I, uh, I, we've talked about it, you and I, for all week. There's been kind of it's, it's been pretty much between from what I was hearing, and you were hearing, is between Burt and Leipold for most of the week. I thought it was going to be Leipold until last night, and then there was kind of some smoke coming in the Burt direction, and then I woke up this morning to a, a news release from Illinois in my inbox announcing Burt, and I think it's, I think it's a good hire. I don't think that. I think that if you're Illinois and you look at the situation your program's been in for a long time, I don't think that you could sit there and say that there's a better hire for you than Brett Bielema based on what he has accomplished and based on what he can be able to do for your program. Like you're either relying on an up and comer who you don't know and you're getting, or you're getting a name that's actually proven it. And it's very rare that Illinois or program of Illinois stature is going to get that name. Now, will it work? I don't know. I do think it was a good move. I am confident that Bielema knows what to do to at least make this team a bowl participant on a regular basis. And I do think that he's going to be able to do a better job to kind of continue what Lovey Smith did with the program. Cause Lovey Smith did not have the results on the field, but he was key for a lot of stuff off the field to get Illinois kind of caught up with the rest of the world as a football program. So it's going to be interesting. And at least I know press conferences are going to be a lot more entertaining than they had been. Oh, Smith content machine. Like Mm -hmm. that's the thing is like Brett Bielema comes back and he is the head coach at a power five program. We're just like green light. Like it has been that way since Wisconsin. It was heightened because he was in the sec at Arkansas. And now he's, the Big Ten content machine is strong. Like, it is, it rivals the SEC. And so to have him at Illinois, like, we just drooled over Lovey's beard, and Lovey didn't offer us anything to back up that beard. All he did was have a beard. Like, Brett Bielema has a physical, like, if a, a physical aspect, but then also backs it up with personality and quotes. Yeah, and if you look at his time at Arkansas, like, in the middle of like that 2014 to 2016 stretch when the SEC West was like Jesus, like from top to bottom, there was everybody like that was, you know, the Dak Prescott, Mississippi State was number one days. Hugh Freeze was getting it rolling in Oxford. And of course, you still had Alabama, Auburn, LSU. And like Arkansas had some good seasons 
in that division for th- a three-year stretch that it's like, I understand that for a lot of Arkansas fans, it wasn't good enough. But if Bielema is able to do that at Illinois, he's going to be a god. So we'll see. Is that the uh, – Bielema was the head coach for like the fourth and 16 or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like the game against Ole Miss that knocked off Ole Miss that allowed – Alabama mm-hmm. to be able to bounce back from the Ole Miss loss. Yep. And yeah. I mean, he, he got a lot of, you know, they, obviously they lost games, but he picked up when you're in the SEC, you're playing a lot of ranked teams and he beat a lot of ranked teams too. And Illinois is not accustomed to beating ranked teams. So it's again, he's accomplished. He's probably the best as far as safest hire that I think Illinois could have made this outside of Luke fickle. I think he was probably the safest available play. Oh, I was in attendance for his last uh, head coaching performance in a bowl game. He jumped out to a 24 to nothing halftime lead against Virginia Tech and blew it in the second half. <laughs> 35. Uh, and that, that kind of started the up. end for him, yeah. That'd be a step up for Illinois. I'll take it. Blow some halftime leads in bowl games. Mm-hmm. Was, take it. It was, it was mm-hmm. a great It was a great bulk bowl. Great, great edition of the uh, RIP Belt Bowl, now the Duke's Mayo Bowl. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bart Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back with you on Sunday with reaction to the college football playoff final rankings. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Zerk.